So welcome. Welcome, everyone. Welcome. <coughs> I'm glad to see, at least for those who are present, that the series holds a continued fascination. <coughs> I think it's a very good series, but then... <laughs> Uh, I just uh, I want to just relate to my uh, my <coughs> rotator cuff surgery that I had a uh, week from last Friday. I then want to thank Tim for uh, substituting for me very effectively and very well. I understand uh, if he makes it easier and easier for me to sort of walk off stage. Thank you, Tim. But uh, I I. Uh, I, it's been 50 years since I've been under a general anesthesia, and uh, so I didn't. I can't. I couldn't remember. You know, I've had local, but I've never had a, a general. And so, uh, you know, they they put a lot of drugs into you to get you to the point where they're they're going to put you out. But it wasn't phasing me, <clears throat> and so <laughs> the anesthesiologist was uh, sort of over my head. And I was saying, you know, I've spent 40 years learning how not to be unconscious. <laughs> and she said to me, it was a nice banter, she said, uh, I've never lost one yet. <laughs> and I was going to say, I'm going to be your first, except that I don't remember. <laughs> the next thing I do remember, <laughs> it was like I was... Um, Sucker punched. <laughs> I thought she could have at least given me a warning, like I'll I'll do this in ten seconds, you know, then I could. But no, I was gone. <laughs> but it was interesting um, uh, because uh, upon awakening, uh, there was this hub of activity around, and uh, I could see that everybody in the room was doing something for me. I was uh, completely uh, dependent upon them, and uh, they weren't manipulating that dependency at all. You know, it was like real, true healthcare. And I had this tremendous sense of gratitude. What I think, if we were mature enough, we would feel as a young child to our parents. But it was uh, just the, the sense that uh, the, you know, the world was—you need the world to make your life work that everybody is dependent upon everyone else in a, in a truly remarkable way. And sometimes it becomes very obvious to that fact, and other times it becomes less. But in those moments, it was very clear that that's what life, that's what governs life. <clears throat> so, uh, uh, you know, the, the pain uh, after about a week has pretty much resided, and... Um, I'm off pain meds, so, but the rehab is going to be four or five months, I understand. So with physical therapy and things, hopefully I can separate myself from this now very important sling I'm wearing. We'll see. In any case, uh, it's not going to keep me from coming to Tuesdays. Uh, and so I want to uh, continue this series that we've been, we've been working with this series of the continual of practice, continual of practice, and so that you can, you be, again, so that uh, 
you, you can see practice from different perspectives, from different trajectories, <clears throat> from the qualities of heart that must be nourished, and the perceptual shifts that must occur, and the uh, experiential uh, changes that happen along the way, and the unexpected twists that often accompany every path. And so I'm just, I just kind of dived into different ways of looking. And tonight, uh, I sort of pulled one out of my Stepping Out of Self-Deception book, uh, chapter two, for those of you who are following such uh, readings along with these talks. And it was the talk on the perpendicular, the horizontal uh, and the vertical axis. Uh, and I know that most of you in the room didn't hear that phase of my teaching when I was going through that. That was a few years ago. <clears throat> so I thought I would draw a continuum based upon that particular way of looking at our life. And I think you'll find it to be, or could be, very useful and helpful in understanding what the spiritual is and where it's located. Uh, how to access it, and the strategies we need to in order to access it, and etc. So uh, that's what we're going to be talking about tonight. <clears throat> this uh, movement from the horizontal uh, to the vertical. Now, uh, for those of us who lived through arithmetic and perhaps algebra in grade school, we are well associated with the x and y axis, uh, and we all had to draw those uh, points on a graph. But I'd like to just use the x and y axis as an introduction into this particular continuum, where you have the uh, x-axis being the horizontal axis, and the y-axis uh, being the vertical axis, <clears throat> and they don't touch because they're perpendicular to each other. They only touch at one particular point, and that point is the zero point for both axes. Now let me talk to you about what the horizontal axis looks like <clears throat> uh, for uh, this particular continuum. The horizontal axis, longitudinal, is the axis that most of us are familiar with and spend most of our time on. It's the axis of our lives, really. It's the axis of our accomplishments, of our past, of our regrets, all happening to the negative past. Uh, part of the graph. <clears throat> it's forever in time in that it doesn't stop at the zero point, but scoots forward uh, continually to the right side as possibilities into the future. And the possibilities are as endless as our aspirations, as our goals, as our intentionalities. And so the x-axis is a tremendously 
labor-intensive axis. It's what our lives are made out of. It's the grist that forms uh, our sense of being, our sense of purpose, our sense of meaning. To get somewhere on the axis that we are now is the driving force. It's really compelled through our fears of what we might become if we don't move or our desires of what we would like to be if we had enough ambition and drive to move ourselves in a certain direction. And there are lots of incentives to get us to move to the right on this axis. And the axis is very um, one-dimensional in the sense that it's time-driven. And it's just, you just sort of hunkered down. There's no interceding force or inspiration, really, that occurs. It's just a matter of getting through the day. And many of us have had days in which we get through the day and we think, oh, thank God I got through today. You know, that's a horizontal day, you might say, in which just living the day, moving through the day, accomplishing what you need to accomplish, checking off what you have to check off in the course of that day is the reason for the purpose and point of living. And so, because the horizontal holds so much meaning and purpose for us, uh, we don't really uh, look up. There's nothing to look up to, really, except the blue angels. Um, see if, don't get me on that one. <laughs> but basically, there's no reason to there's no reason to uh, look beyond our normal relationships to life, uh, to the musts and shoulds and have tos of our life. So it's a compelling it's a compelling and forceful drive this horizontal axis. And so you can you can put much of your life on that horizontal. And then, because this is an, there's another axis here. There's the y-axis, the vertical axis. The vertical axis is the sacred, is the realm of the, of the spiritual. Now, it's interesting, because the vertical axis uh, doesn't, ask for our attention. The horizontal axis does. The horizontal axis uh, requires our complete ambition, drive, force, a lot of our sense of motivation and just the willpower to live. <clears throat> but the vertical axis doesn't tap us on the shoulder. It doesn't request anything from us. It's very light. And therefore, it's not even, for most people, it's not even noticed. We like to think that we live with it in some way, or that it has some influence on us, but mostly what we do is we carry around horizontal objects in order to remind us of the vertical existence. Crosses, you know, or pictures of holy people, or we read scriptures, or we carry mala beads or whatever it is that we might do. And those are ways to sort of sense that there must be more to life than the drudgery 
and the pain and the pursuit that the horizontal axis provides. And we don't really know what it is, but having these material objects seems to give us a sense that there's a possibility there. Now the vertical axis is an amazing, amazing uh, component of our life. First of all, its, it's gentleness is remarkable. It's not oppressive. There's no oppressive spirituality. There are oppressive people within the spiritual journey, but the spirit, the spirit itself is not oppressive at all. It's very light. And it doesn't go, the horizontal axis being an axis of time, the vertical axis splits the horizontal axis where? At the zero point, which is the present. It doesn't move to the left in terms of the, of the past or to the right in terms of the future. It bisects the horizontal at the zero point, which is the present moment. Now this is an important point because the present moment to the horizontal active life, you're in my life for most of the way we live, is not a particularly inspiring time frame. The present is really what we're trying to get over. It kind of shows us what we're not. It shows us our inconvenience. It shows us our inconsistencies. It shows us our discontentedness. It shows us our disappointments. It shows us where, what life up until that point has brought to us. And therefore the present moment as we have organized our logic within the horizontal axis isn't really a moment that we really treasure. It's a moment to get through so that we can take what we have been and improve upon it. You see? So that when we look at ourselves in the present moment we think, oh my God, I've got a lot of work to do. Look at my mind, it's all crazy. Look, I'm, I feel disappointed, discouraged. I may be depressed. I'm grieving, I'm this, I'm that. All of that must have its resolution sometime in the future. And so the present doesn't hold much, much persuasion. It doesn't really garner our attention. <clears throat> because we bring so much into it, right? So much of what we have been, what the assumptions of what we are now, and the hopes of what we will become. That's what piles itself in the present moment for most of us. And that's why the present doesn't, for the most part in our life, we're not present. Why would you wanna be, right? We wanna get through this, out of it into a different time frame which holds more optimism. And so uh, we don't spend much time in the present. And it's because we don't spend much time within the present that we don't recognize the vertical because the vertical only resides in the present. Are you following this? Now see, this is very, it's very interesting now because again, from the horizontal perspective, you know, 
who I am in this moment is not what I eventually want to die with. I'm looking forward to being something better. And those are the desires that work continuously through us. Or the fears that compel us in one way or another. And so that movement of continuation of thinking in terms of time, even though the present itself, we bring time into the present, but the present moment doesn't have a duration. How can the present moment have a duration? What's it derive itself into? Present. It's always present. Doesn't have a derivation. Doesn't have an ending. Doesn't have a length. Huh? But when we when we move on the horizontal level, and we think of ourselves as moving towards some place, then it does have a it does have a lifespan. Because what we're really looking for is not the everlasting present. We're not looking for the vertical. We're looking for alleviation of the tension we've carried into the pr this present moment. And the alleviation of the tension doesn't, isn't obvious within the present moment. Does there, there's nothing there that can satisfy me. So the satisfaction that I'm looking for from the strategy of the horizontal must be in the future. Where could it be? Right? So that's the way we, we sort of hold our lives. It's very important because you can begin to see how little time you really treasure the present moment because it doesn't hold any significance. And we have to realize why it doesn't hold any significance. Is because we have steeped it full of our memories and remembrances and of our ambitions and our wants. And so when we get and arrive at the present, it holds a kind of heaviness of what we have not yet learned to be. Now, again, the vertical is all about the present. And, as I mentioned, the span of the vertical, the length of that present, is everlasting. Because it never loses context that wherever or whatever time does within it, it's always happening within the present moment. So now some of you have had that experience <clears throat> where you realize that you can think and do all of your activities and emote, but when you're quiet enough, you begin to realize that the context out of all of that mental movement was here and now. It didn't happen at some other time. It happened now. That there is no way to avoid the present moment. There's no way to get out of it. You can think your way out of it, conceptually. That's the horizontal's way. Horizontal, the methods of the horizontal is to think ahead of yourself so that you lose context that the present is the present. 
and you can be so labored by the past that the present is either what I long for and it used to be like or what I have yet to experience and wish it to be. But all of that wishing, key point, all of that wishing, all of that longing for is occurring where? It's occurring within the present. We never get out of the present. You can't get out of the present. How could you possibly get out of the present? Now you begin to see that that zero point, you see where the X and Y axis cross, you begin to see how close the sacred is. It's just the recognition of the forever of the present. Rather than the conceptual subjective idea that I'm leaving the present for the future to become better or whatever within it. My friends, that is a spiritual journey. Understand that the entire horizontal axis is fantasy, does not exist. It exists only in the ideas we have for what we need to do or the begrudging of what we have done. It does not exist as itself. In that sense, only the vertical exists. And the recognition of that is what it means to awaken. Now the horizontal holds some key elements. It holds the sense of me. And it's only the horizontal that holds that. Because what we are built upon, the ideas, we're built upon our own ideas. That's what, that's what the sense of me is. It's a set of ideas of what I have been and what I will be. It's a set of images that have been evolved over our length of years. And the horizontal holds those ideas. It holds those ideas as experiences and albums, picture albums, of where I was when I was this small and where I am today. And so the sense of ourselves is carried along within the conceptual view that the horizontal provides. The vertical 
does not allow that. The vertical doesn't hold ideas in longitudinal reference because it's now. There is no then or will be. And therefore our hearts which are beckoned towards the arriving within that now, the living of it, long deeply for the satisfaction of the unburdening of our lives from the sense of self we've carried around and through our entire life. And we can begin to see how reluctant we are to let go of that burden, even though the density of that burden actually becomes greater and more weighty as our lives extend itself along the horizontal, tighter and tenser, with more responsibilities and more pressures. And that somehow this gives us a sense of purpose, nobility on the horizontal level of what we've overcome in order to get to where we are and how we are helping or whatever it is that we think we're doing along the horizontal, which we feel good about or not. This has been, this is the labor that life seems to, and the toll that life seems to take upon us in order to get the acclaim, the self-acclaim necessary in order for us to get out of the horizontal with some sense of accomplishment. And so what we do as a human being is we start our spiritual journey on the horizontal, seeking some way to get to the vertical. We sense that there must be another dimension here. We probably sense it very deeply. Some of us have actually slipped into it from time to time. But we do it from an internal seeking mode towards the external. It's not in me. I know only myself as having been everything I remember in my histories tell me. And so I look outside myself. I look for others. I look for the right practice. I look for the right techniques. I look for the right purposes and points, you see. But the point is that we're missing something within that search. What are we missing? We're missing everything. Why? Because the horizontal will never give us what we long for. Here's what the Buddha said. 
talking about the horizontal and vertical in his words. There is an unborn, an uncreated, an unconditioned, an unformed, the vertical. Were it not for the unborn, the uncreated, the unconditioned, the unformed, there would be no escape from the world of the born, the created, the conditioned, and the formed. In other words, do whatever you like on the horizontal. You will never get off of it. There is no escape. Not as long as you promote the idea and strategies on which the horizontal is based. See, I love that. There is no way off the horizontal except through the recognition of the vertical. So when you're seeking, that's a sense of tension. You're not getting off the horizontal, you're just moving your horizontal into a direction you call spiritually horizontal and seeking a new spiritual sense of yourself in time. And almost all of us have to go through that phase of practice until it dawns on us that we're really living the same life we were always living. We're just calling it spiritual now instead of worldly. And that the same Although it seems uh, more inspiring, it seems at a higher level of promise, it really isn't. Although there may be adjustments we can make to how it is that we live on the horizontal so that we don't acquire as much stress or as much tension along the way and we learn to adapt our minds so that we can release and better accept some of the situations the horizontal brings and that fine-tuning of life lived through and within ourselves as we age and mature and grow old. Were it not for the unborn, the uncreated, the unconditioned, the unformed, there would be no escape from the world of the born, the created, the conditioned, and the formed. So now you begin to think, oh, so, you know, I have, this is, this is a whole different way of recognition, recognizing what's here. Is to, we, I have to reframe this thing. It has to be completely reframed. You see? And when you do so, when you take the horizontal and you move it into the vertical so that the vertical becomes the guidance system for you, everything on which the horizontal is based and conditioned moves along with it. Suddenly, 
all the conditioning that we ran from, that we were afraid of forming us into something that we were afraid of becoming, we're willing to face here and now, not as a fear of what, we will, what will happen to us if we give ourselves over to the malaise of our life, or to the disappointments, or to the inconveniences, but to the fact that in the present, in the active, living, present moment, none of it can survive without time being invested in it. In other words, if I hold whatever state of mind I'm in and not invest that state of mind in time, meaning it's something that I acquired because my mother was such and such, it's something that I have had reoccurrence every few years and I'm falling back into it again and now I have to do whatever is necessary in order to get out of this systematic psychological trap that I keep falling into without the thoughts carrying the prescription of my journey out of my psychological unhealthy life into a healthy life if I just deal with the state of mind as an immediacy of the present, it doesn't carry the burden of that thought with it. It's the burden of the thought that keeps us at a disadvantage. It's the remembrance of what it did to you the last time you felt this, that keeps you scurrying out of its reach, that looms like this tsunami crest that's just about to fall and destroy and disrupt your life. The courage it takes then is the courage of the upright, the realization that there's no way to escape the pain of the horizontal through escape. There's no way in time to ameliorate the sufferings of our life. We just can't do it. I mean, the Buddha is saying that. Sometimes the pressures of our life get to be so acute that we momentarily free ourselves from that way of thinking. Like when you might get a, a limited prognosis. Maybe you have a terminal illness. An example is a friend of mine, 42-year-old sister, had been trying her whole adult life, her whole adult married life, to have a child, conceive a child, and she was unable to do that. <clears throat> she became pregnant at age 42, but she also received the diagnosis of fourth stage cancer at the same time she found out she was pregnant. 
and she refused the radiation and chemotherapy because of the, what it would do to the fetus. So she knew she was, in fact, signing her own death sentence, but that her child would live. And in fact, she had, she gave birth to a healthy young child. <clears throat> and at that time, she was given four months to live. And my friend said that her sister, the way she related to that child was unlike any relationship he had ever seen. that she lived his breath. You see, she realized that if there was going to be a relationship, any true relationship had to occur from the vertical, not from the horizontal. Horizontal, you put off relationship. Right? That was a great conversation to be continued. thinking that we have a life ahead of ourselves. But the vertical doesn't put that off. The vertical relationship is complete in each meeting. Now, How many of us live with that kind of credibility, that kind of availability? But you see, this is the false nirvana. The false nirvana is that when some, it, it will happen to you, that if your intentionality is no longer to infuse your energy into the horizontal, the vertical will open. It will be known to you very confidentially and confidently what your life has always been not what you have thought your life was about, but what it actually was. And then, because there is such an unburdening in that moment in which the vertical is revealed, there is a grasping to live only within the vertical and no longer within the horizontal. And people then become, as they say, filled with emptiness, odorous with emptiness. They aren't really able to have relationship because relationship requires 
not only the horizontal, not only the vertical, but also the meeting. It requires the zero point of both axes, not moving up the scale so that you lose the horizontal connection. Not so that you're only relating to somebody who's empty from emptiness. What kind of relationship is that? And this is where the false nirvana, one has to relinquish even the allurement of living on the vertical axis. Because you live within both axes simultaneously. We don't live independent of the view of humanity. And at the same time, we don't live only within the view of individuation. Simultaneous comes the immediacy and the emptiness that holds that immediacy and the relationship and appropriate action necessary for life to move along functionally within this world. We live at the zero point, not extending out on either end of either axis. Here's an exercise I give you. Walking down the street with your head full of ideas swirling with the thoughts of all the things you have done, will do, or are thinking about in the course of the day. Just taking that walk, perhaps through a park that can give you some sense of perspective. You start letting the park hold the context of all of that noise. And you don't add, you don't get lost, you don't feed the noise. You just let it swirl its swirl. You just don't invest in it. You don't turn your attention towards it. And what you begin to sense is that that density of conversation, of inward tension, when it isn't, oh yes, I've got to tell him that, and when it isn't infused with the emotional ignorance and the cultural reactivity begins to loosen. And suddenly, you can be walking along feeling almost transparent. Even though the conversations of the world go on, So that neither the horizontal or the vertical become the endpoint. And when it's not encouraged, the conversation is not encouraged, it becomes lighter and less dense, lighter and less dense. 
but you still remember your name. You still remember where your walk is taking you. You still remember how to get there. You need the track record of your life in order to proceed. But you don't need the density in order to proceed. And this is the movement, you see. Again, the counter-influence is that at some point you realize that you can't carry yourself into the sacred. That to do so is really a pretension. It'll just make you phony and holy. And so you're very willing at some point just to release the need for that density to self-proclaim. And what comes out is something startling, where the vertical and the horizontal are known. And you realize it's always been this way, that we have been living a dream that there was never a spiritual problem to resolve. How could there have been? I was never living outside the present. I was just thinking as if I were. I was pretending that I was. That there was no spiritual journey, that there was no problem. There never was a problem. And yet, at the same time, I'm left with the sense of my own suffering. And it's within that paradox that the journey deepens and takes us. An interesting journey we're on, is it not? Thank you all. Can we sit for a minute or two? The sound of the vertical. You know the sound of the horizontal. You can certainly pick up that stream anytime you want to. What's the sound of the vertical? And which one do you listen to? Remembering that the vertical never denies anything within the horizontal. Never denies anything, any thought, any emotion, any tension, any suffering, any ill will, never denies a thing. What's the sound of the vertical? 
Okay, if you have any comments or questions, I'll see what I can do to answer them. question is, is sitting a doorway to the vertical? It depends on how you sit. Sitting can be a doorway to the horizontal. If all you do is mull over what your day has been like and how awful it's been and let your thoughts proceed and carry you right for, right through that particular period of time. In fact, any moment can be either one. And so as we begin to learn how to sit, you also learn not to object to anything that the mind is, that is occurring within the mind. Because to object to anything that is happening within the mind is the horizontal play. But to give space for everything to occur that's occurring in the mind is the vertical embracing the horizontal. Do you see that? That's how you sit. You sit in the middle of your life with a total embrace, without trying to change anything. The moment you come down to that kind of refined and nuanced nudging and judging and opinionating, you can be assured that that's the trajectory of the continuation of the horizontal. So you have to be willing to incline your mind towards the vertical when you sit. See how this makes sense? It also shows a very clear path in terms of the strategies we use. Because the horizontal movement of conceptualizing and opinionating and judging and condemning and comparing, all of that, you can feel it. You can feel the labor-intensive movement. And then there is just the seeing. So if you use your spiritual journey in that kind of manipulative way to determine what you're going to see, then your practice is really based on the horizontal axis. What you are or are not going to see. What you turn away from what you hold on to, are all continuations of the theme of time. I want this, I don't want that. Thank you. 
So she's, a question has to do with, uh, to reframe it, how do you live more in the vertical when the world demands a horizontal life, right? Because you will come to a point, everyone will, many times in their practice, in which you will say to yourself, I can't live like this. It's nice, this is great. I hear it, sounds wonderful. I can't live like that. Okay, that's the shutdown. That's the egoic shutdown. My suggestion is to incline your mind to see if you can. You don't have to make a decision. It doesn't have to be a no or I can do this or I can't do this. Let's just see. I'm inclined to want to spend more time beating myself up or self-promoting labor-intensive life. Let me carry away like a, a valve that relieves attention with me in my life, that valve of presence. Right? And let's just see what difference it makes to others when I'm embraced in one versus the other. So I begin to look and see the relationships that occur or don't occur or, or the results of activities from both perspectives so that I let life teach me whether it's possible to live like that or not. Yes, the world is deeply, deeply steeped in horizontal living. Yes, those who evaluate you will be looking at you from that perspective. There's tremendous pressure for you not to look up. Nobody wants you to look up, and that way they don't have to look up. As long as you can look at your feet, they're comfortable looking at theirs. If we all just gave in to that kind of conditioning and said, there's nothing I can do, everybody else is doing it, I can't do anything else, we would never, there's no way out of this thing. The reason that the people who do look up become so remarkable to everyone is because they're willing to go against that convention and just see, let me just see. Not that it doesn't take strength and a lot of courage, but it doesn't take, it doesn't make things as disruptive as your mind will tell you it's going to. Things go actually easier in many ways, more difficult in some, but in most ways it goes much easier. Shall we call it an evening? Okay, thank you. Thank you.